So today I want to just speak on the topic of Christmas. And I have a little video I want to play as we begin. The question is, why did Jesus come at Christmas? Why? Why? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why forsake the majesty and fellowship of heaven? Exchanging a palace for a stable. Immortal comforts for a feeding trough. And robes of glory for the feeble body of an infant. An unparalleled irony, this supreme, unrivaled nobility experiencing absolute and total humility. Our sovereign God, Emmanuel, as a baby. He didn't come to heap shame upon sinners or to judge and cast out the impious, but to break bread with those called unrighteous. He didn't come to illuminate every mystery of the cosmos or to enlighten the intellectual, but to fulfill the testimony of prophets clothed in rags. He didn't come to elevate a single nation or to advocate a particular political affiliation. He came because he saw you broken in need of salvation. He saw you lost and abandoned, crying out, surrounded by deaf ears, fighting through the tears, but beaten down by the torments of this world. And unable to bear your distress, he renounced his eternal throne, walked the earth, bore the stripes, accepted the nails, and gave up his last breath so that you could receive the breath of life. holy, infinite God, beheld your pain, perceived your heart, and determined that your soul was worth dying for. From the manger, to the cross, to the empty tomb, it is all a story of profound love, of a Savior who rescued his children from darkness of a blameless king who declared that no sacrifice was too great for the sake of his beloved creation. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came for you. You know, that's a really good question. As we come into the Christmas season, have we really ever thought about it? Have you ever really pondered the question, why did Jesus really come? What was his purpose? Now, certainly Christmas makes a great holiday. Great American tradition, just like Thanksgiving Day does and the 4th of July and Memorial Day, and they're all great American holidays. And And it gives us a good reason to take some time off of work and to get with family and have lots of nice meals and exchange presents, and that's really a good thing. But if someone asked you, if somebody walked up to you on the street and asked you the question, why did Jesus really come to earth? What would you tell them? How would you answer it? There's many answers that I've been, I found. I, I went on the internet and I asked the question, why did Jesus come at Christmas? And 
These are some of the answers that I got. He came to be an example for us, to bring world peace, to be a good moral teacher, show us how to be nice to each other, spread peace and joy, tell us how good to be, promote social justice, so we could all get along and find inner peace and fulfillment. So that we might be happy and love everyone. So that we could get rich and live the good life. All good answers. But unfortunately, none of them, nor the entire list, actually encapsulates why Jesus came to earth. Not only did he come to give us many of these things, but God came for a reason, and that is much more than this. And i got to wonder, if, <clears throat> if he came for this list, why would he come as a baby? I mean, why wouldn't he just come as a man? Why wouldn't he just all of a sudden just kind of float out of heaven like he went up into heaven? Why wouldn't he just float down to earth so that all men could see him? It would be so obvious for all men that this is God coming down in man form. Why did he have to come as a baby? It wouldn't be much more impressive and much more uh, and leave so many questions in people's minds if he just would have appeared as a, as a man. But that's not how it happened. He came as a baby, born in a very humble circumstances to a young Jewish virgin that was engaged to be married and yet never knowing a man. It was an immaculate conception. Truly a miracle in that right. And that is very important to the whole plan of salvation. How did Mary become pregnant? How would you answer that to somebody? Well, let's read it. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, and then 34 and 35. And you can read the whole Christmas story if you'd like to in that first chapter of Luke, but I want to just read this much for time's sake. It says, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So we see Jesus here to be fully human and at the same time fully divine. His father was the Holy Spirit of God, and his mother was Mary, a simple young teenage girl. And this is a key point. The fact that he was both eternal, both divine, and both temporal, and both human. We're going to come back to this a little bit more a little bit later, but this is what uniquely qualifies Jesus to be the sacrifice that he needed to be for our sin. Now we all know the story thereafter that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he um, grew up as a boy, uh, became a man, went through all the temptations, all the trials of humanity like we have experienced or are experiencing, and yet he never sinned, and he lived, a, lived that perfect life. And so he could be that perfect sacrifice, and he did accomplish some good things. So let's talk about real quickly what he did come to do. He came to offer truth and light. First, John chapter 12, verse 46, it says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. John chapter 18, verse 37. Pilate said, So you are a king? Jesus replied, 
You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to truth. All who love the truth recognize what I have to say is true. He also came to pay the price for our sin, to deal with sin. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And then 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says, And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins. Then thirdly, Jesus came to defeat the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. But when people kept, keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. These are just some of the legitimate things reasons that Jesus came and left comfort, the comforts of heaven. And I don't think that we fully even appreciate that as a sacrifice. Forget the fact that Jesus had to die. Just the fact that he had to leave heaven to come down here and to live in his creation is a significant sacrifice, probably more than what we can ever imagine. I don't think we're ever going to imagine it until we're actually there, until we're actually in, the, in heaven and see the glories of what heaven is and to see how magnificent it is and the splendor of it and the colors and the smells and the tastes and all heaven is. I don't think we can even begin to appreciate that Jesus left there and then he changed into a human form to go back there differently, never to be the same. Not even thinking about his death, just the fact that he left heaven is a huge sacrifice. It's pretty amazing to think about that. But I want to address the question, though, why did Jesus really have to come to earth? Why did he really have to come to earth? That's a good question, but I think, but I think the bigger question is, and I think this is a question that many people struggle with, that if God loves us like he says he does, then why is there a penalty for sin in the first place? Now we're getting to the real crux of the matter. If Jesus really loved me the way he said, if God really is love, why is there a penalty for sin? Why couldn't God, or why doesn't God just forgive everybody? Why doesn't he just wipe his magnificent hand over earth and say, you're all forgiven. Therefore, you all have entrance into heaven. Why did Jesus have to die so that we could be forgiven? What's the big deal about sin? Why can a person spend eternity in hell being punished forever because of a single sin and that be justified as a legitimate punishment? How can that be? Have you ever thought about it? Seriously, why God would take a temporary act that I do, because everything I do is temporary, but because of I temporarily sin, why, if I don't take care of that sin, why, how can it be legitimate that I spend forever in hell? It's a big question. Is it really justified? Is it, a, is it really a justifiable penalty for that temporary little insignificant sin? That's why people struggle. I think that's why many people don't believe in Christianity because they don't believe that's just. They don't believe that's real, that, that, that God really can justify a punishment like that. But I heard a very simple yet profound explanation 
to that question that I want to share it with you today. I, I got this. I'm not the, I'm not the originator of this. I, I, I heard this from a pastor, an author, and a conference speaker named Kerry Waldy. Kerry was here a few weeks ago, a few months ago, to do a little seminar for us on what is truth, basically. And he gave this really simple explanation, and I really like it. It helped me understand it a little bit better, and I hope I can explain it to you, and maybe you can also understand true what this means. But Kerry said that in Michigan, every year in the, in the springtime, the state bird comes back. It's a mosquito. When that pesky little mosquito comes and it lands on your arm or lands on your cheek, what's the first thing you do to it? Slap it. Do you just kind of, go away, little boy, go away, go away. Still go bite somebody else. Or come back and bite me later. No, we slap it. And you slap it hard, don't you? I mean, you don't mess around with mosquitoes. I think we're all guilty of being a murderer of mosquitoes. Right? I think they are part of the curse. What good does a purpose, what's the purpose of a mosquito besides to spread diseases and make us itch? So we slap a mosquito. Now, what happens if my wife would walk into the room and one of somebody would walk up to my wife and slap her in the face? No mosquito. <laughs> if you could say there was a mosquito there, but no mosquito and you just slapped her in the face. Well, you would have a problem with me because my wife has value to me and some authority. And so you slap my wife in the face, and I'm calling 911. So I call 911, and in comes a police officer, and in all your audacity, you walk up and you smack the, the police officer in the face, smack, slap him in the face. The same action as killing a mosquito, but now you're slapping a police officer, and all of a sudden his value and his authority is much greater than my wife's, and now you're going to see the judge. So he arrests you, and he takes you down into the, to the court system, and now you walk into the court because you've assaulted a police officer, and you walk up to the judge, and you slap him in the face. Wow. Same action as slapping the mosquito. But now the authority that the judge has, the value of that role of judgeship just landed you in big trouble because now he's going to probably through contempt of court and some other issues, you're probably going to go to jail. Or you're going to, spend a, you're going to have a hefty fine to uh, pay. So you, you appeal it, and now you go in front of a appellate judge. And you do the same thing. Do you know where this is going? You smack the appellate judge in the face, and now you've got even a heavier fine to pay. My wife has value to me in some authority. The police officer has more value the role of police officer and has greater authority and the judge has greater authority and this appellate judge has greater authority and every 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 level you go up you have a heavier consequence to pay because you offended somebody of great value and of great worth so what does this have to do with christmas well hang with me here about six thousand years ago god in his infinite value and his infinite power and his infinite authority decided to create mankind in his image. So he created man. Genesis chapter 2 records it for us. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in, Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. 
The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced the delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, the creator of all the universe, created mankind, and he bent down and he breathed life into man, and man was created perfectly in the image of God as a righteous image, as a holy image, with good relationship with God, and they had great relationship for a long time, as far as we know, in the garden. But God had one test for Adam and Eve. And this was to be a test that would prove to God and to them who they really were and how valuable God really was. The test was they have all the trees and the fruit in the garden. There was just one tree, just one tree in the middle of the garden that they weren't supposed to eat from. They didn't have any unmet needs or desires. Adam and Eve lived in pure utopia. I mean, the temperature was perfect to the point they didn't have to put clothes on. Wouldn't that be great? Walk outside and never have to put a jacket on? Not to ever have to be cold? It was just perfect. Andrea likes that. Yeah, she's good. She's thinking Jamaica all the way, man. She's good. But what happened? What happened that changed the course of all creation? Adam and Eve had the test of not to eat from the tree of good of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were commanded not to eat from it, but what happened? Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. As At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So do you see just what happened here in the context of the mosquito analogy? Adam and Eve just slapped God in the face. An infinite God with value and authority beyond what we can even imagine. And by their intentional act of disobedience, they went up and they slapped this infinite God in the face. And because of that, they had an infinite penalty to pay. Because of the value of God, the same action that we would slap a mosquito and have no consequence, they slapped God in the face and now they have an infinite penalty to pay. And that was death. Spiritual and physical. Spiritual immediately, physically second. And here's the important part. None of these, neither of these were God's original plan for man. God had, his plan for us was to live forever with him. It wasn't his plan. God provided everything perfectly and gave them one simple test and they blew it. They went and they ate of the tree and by doing that, they just, that one little simple act of disobedience changed history. And here's the thing, eating the fruit was something that they did every day. It it wasn't, again, it wasn't the fact that they did anything unusual because they went from trees every day plucked picked the fruit off the tree and they ate it every day. They went from tree to tree to tree eating lots of fruit. So it wasn't the act. It wasn't the quantity or the quality of the sin. It was the fact that they went to the wrong tree. 
the tree that you were commanded not to eat from, and intentionally they said, we're going to eat this fruit, and even though God said no, we're going to eat it. That is a slap in the face. You know what that means? Does that, does, are you getting that analogy? Yeah, it's pretty important. So it wasn't a change of action. It was simply a very innocent yet intentional act of disobedience, of eating fruit that they were commanded not to eat from. And from that, they died. And from that, all men, you and I today, are born sinful because of that one act of disobedience. So it's not the quantity nor the quality of the sin It's the value and the authority of the one who is sinned against justifies the penalty. That's really important because I don't think we understand that. I don't think the world understands that. See, the world may not recognize the fact that God has value and authority, but there's coming a day that no one will be able to ignore him any longer because the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, 11 and 12, it says, For it is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Are you hearing this this morning? Are you hearing the value and the worth and the power of God? Every knee will bow before him. Whether you choose to today or not, it's irrelevant. At that day, every knee will bow before God because he is that infinite and he is that powerful and he's that glorious and he's that and he's worth that much but some of us here this morning and some of us in our generation to say but but you know that, that was 6,000 years ago times have changed we're in 2020 we're enlightened today so what happened 6,000 years ago what does that have I mean how we're different today we're, we're enlightened well let me just ask the question really Really? What has time got to do with it? What does it mean? What's the significance of time? Do you think that God forgets? Do you think that that time heals and changes things automatically just because 6,000 years have passed by that first offense of slapping God in the face that no more that means the penalty doesn't exist anymore? Let me ask you, if somebody hurt you or murdered one of your friends or one of from in your family and, and that person escaped and were gone for a number of years and somehow they found them, would you forget about the fact that they murdered your friend? Would you just let them off the hook? Does time fix everything like that? I don't think so. I think they have a penalty to pay. Time has nothing to do with it. And, you know, if you look at time, guys, look at the world. The world is only getting worse. It's not getting better. There is nothing in this world that's, getting, that's looking like we're getting closer to Christ. There is nothing. When you look at the news and watch and see what's going on around the country and around the world, it's just rapidly deteriorating all around us. So time isn't making it better. It's only making it worse. So time is not a factor. Let's just face the facts and see it as it is. So now we're getting to the point of the Christmas message, and that is why Jesus came to earth as a baby, lived a perfect life without sin, and then he died a horrible, undeserved death, paying the penalty for Adam's sin. Let's go back to that courtroom example for a minute. Let's say now you're standing in front of that appellate judge, and he has just given you a hefty fine. I mean really hefty. And he says, if you don't pay this money, you're going to jail for a long time. 
And you say, Judge, I don't have the ability to pay this. It's more than I have. It's more than I can come up with. So you're facing a dark time. You're facing jail time for a long time. But what happens now if somebody that's in the courtroom feels sorry for you and says, wait, Judge, I have the money. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. All you have to do is receive it, and you're free because somebody else paid your penalty. We're getting closer to the Christmas story here because that's what Jesus did. See, we have an offense, an infinite offense against an all-powerful God that we cannot pay. The only thing that would pay for that would be our death. But Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. I love you so much. I will pay the price. I will come and pay the price for you so that you don't have to pay it. I'll take care of it. All you have to do is receive it. It's a free gift. Wow. What do you think you'd feel if you were in that courtroom? Would you feel a little elated, the fact that somebody's paying your fine? I bet you would. I know I would. So how do we feel about Jesus? How do we feel about that? See, Jesus just came in, and he is uniquely qualified to pay the price of your sin. Huh. Why is he uniquely qualified? This is really important. Because Jesus is all of this. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is divine. He is Trinity. He is part of the whole eternal structure. He is the one that spoke. uh, He was with God when God created the universe because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth, over over everything's void, and the Word became flesh, and the Word became, God created all things, and so Jesus is the Word. Jesus is also part of God's creation, Because when he took on baby form, he took on humanity in that barnyard so many years ago. In that stinky, humble barnyard, he became man. So he is God, and he's humanity. He's the only one that that touches both circles. Sin broke the relationship. Jesus is the only one that has context in both worlds. That, That uniquely qualifies him to be a potential sacrifice for our sin. And because he lived life perfectly on this world, he then was qualified to be that sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. And the animals would be a temporary fulfillment of God's need for a blood offering just for that year as atonement. But Jesus came and became the, he fulfilled the Old Testament regulations, the Old Testament law, He fulfilled the requirements that God had to have sin atoned for because God's righteous. You see, everything that that courtroom did in that that example we gave, the judge was totally righteous, was totally um, right in his judgments because he was just upholding the law of the land. Because when you strike an officer of the law, you have a penalty to pay. And so he's just doing his job to assess the penalty. It's fair. God is in a way that says the same thing. Guys, I have created this universe. I am a just God. I am a holy God. And everything that is happening now as a result of sin is really your choice because you're allowing it. You're not receiving the sacrifice that I've I've given you to atone for the sin. 
So God's not being unjust. He's not being unjust at all when he says there is a price to pay, is he? He's just doing his job. In fact, if the judge were to give the person a break because the person looked a certain way or had a certain uh, level of influence or maybe because he knew somebody that was um, high up in a political office or any other reason, the judge would not be a good judge, would he? Because he would be discriminating and he would have been showing favor with people unjustly. A good judge has to abide by the law. God is a good God. He is a just God, and he can't bend the rules for anybody. That's any of us in this room. We're going to stand before God someday, and we're going to, be a, we're going to give an account of what did we do with Jesus. What, would, what did we do with that benefactor that came and said, I will take care of your sin if you will just accept me? See, if I don't accept Jesus, what am I doing? I'm then guilty of slapping God in the face. I can't blame it on Adam and Eve anymore because God has given me the way out. He's given me the opportunity to receive his son as a gift of Christmas to be my sacrifice. And if I reject it, I am literally slapping God in the face. And I deserve the punishment then that would come my way. Does that make sense? I love the fact that Jesus loves me so much and he loves you so much that he's given you a way out. All you need to do is receive it and then live like it. And then live a life then committed to him that makes the big difference. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. See, again, the good judge has no choice but to give the wages of what sin is. The wages of sin is what? Death. A good judge says, I'm sorry, but I have to give the sentence because you have offended the Most High and you've rejected him over and over again. And therefore, that one simple sin of rejection is enough. You don't have to be a murderer. You don't have to be a, a, a sexual addiction person. You don't have to be a, a bad, bad, bad person. No, you just have to reject God. That's slapping in the face of the Almighty, and that's enough. Because of Adam's sin, all mankind is born in sin. See, the thing is, is that because of Adam's sin, I'm not, I don't, there's not one of us that came out of our mother's womb holy. Not one of us. We all came out, even though we're pretty little babies and we're cute and cuddly. And, no, everybody comes out tainted. Everybody comes out sinned. And so now the only choice we have, it's not a choice if we, if we don't sin. Uh, no, we have no choice about that. The choice is we're sinners because we came out a sinner. The only choice we have is now what do I do with that sin? Do I live like it? Do I live in it? Do I um, die in it? Or do I take care of it by coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Because that's what he does. That's why he came to earth. So now when people ask you, why did Jesus have to come to earth? He came to earth because he had to come down to be one of us. So that he could die the penalty that would pay the price of a holy God, of a righteous God, 
Let's finish reading chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but, this is, the, this is the good news, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go back to Romans 3.23, the one I read before, and let's see what that says, because that was just the beginning. It said that for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glory, But here's the good news. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Guys, we have the answer. We have the answer. The reason that Jesus came to earth was to be our sacrifice. To take care of our sins so that we could have relationship one more time perfectly like Adam and Eve did at the beginning with God, his Father. And when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I am adopted into the family. And now I am a joint heir with Christ. And I have the same rights as Jesus does because I am a, I'm an adopted child. Now, if that doesn't give us reason to celebrate, I don't know what does. If that doesn't help us to understand why Jesus came and it gives us a hope for this world, I don't know what does. This is the reason why we can have confidence for the saints that pass on from this life. And basically it's no different than just going through those doors from this sanctuary out into that foyer. We're just going from one life, one room to another. We're going into the presence of our Creator. We're going into the presence of our Savior. There's hope and there's joy and there's assurance there and there is no reason for fear when I have Jesus in my heart. But if I don't receive him, then I deserve the penalty because I'm offending the Most High. God gave his best through Jesus Christ. And if I don't receive him, I deserve it. God's not sending me to a place I don't deserve. God's not mean. He's not angry. He's doing what he has to do. He's giving a just penalty because of my rejection of him. Guys, this is not religion. This is relationship. This is real. This is why I do what I do. This is why I've given up what I've given up so that I can stand in front of you today and ask you and plead with you to accept Jesus. Let him be the offense. Let him be the one taking his penalty out on. When he hung on that cross that day, all the sin of mankind was on Jesus. God the Father had to turn his face. They couldn't even look at him because he had your sin. He had my sin. And for that moment in time when, God, when Jesus took the sin of mankind and he, he destroyed it, 
by going to hell and taking the keys of death back from Satan. He said, it is finished. I have destroyed it. I have recreated the path back for mankind to come back into relationship with God the Father. That's the Christmas story. Yeah, it's nice to see him in a manger. It's cute. It's fun. But the reality is he hung at a cross. He died a death he didn't deserve to die. He paid the price for my sin, and he rose again. And that gives me hope. That gives me a promise. I know I have a parent. I know I have a mom and dad that are in heaven waiting for me. Summer, you have children waiting in heaven for you because they didn't make it to this world, but they're there. You have a family waiting for all those that have lost loved ones that were righteous, that were holy, that knew Jesus. It's a glorious day. Merry Christmas. I want to share one other thing with you. Paul Harvey understood this. Paul Harvey understood this in a little story that he told back in the 60s, I believe it was. This will just help us maybe understand a little bit more why Jesus had to come. I'm getting myself set up here. Hang on, folks. Bear with me a little bit. You talk about timing. I just heard this this morning. That's why timing is so good. That's why I believe that God gives us things that are like this. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow 
making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them. But how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now. I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn, but I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears. Above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells. Adeste Fidelis. Listening to the bells. Pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees. In the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. Pray with me if you would, please. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to be one of us. You loved us so much. It wasn't your plan for us ever to be separated from you. Your plan was that we would have eternal relationship because you created us in your image just like you to be in total communion, to, uh, to be in total relationship. And Father, I recognize now that it's not just Adam's sin that causes my relationship to be broken with you. It's my own sin because I have rejected you in the past. And I am sorry for that. And I look at Jesus now, and I look at what his life was and is for me, and I just, I am just sorry that I have let all the years go by that I have, that I haven't received you and kept you into my life the way, the way that I should have. And I know there are the others here this morning that are saying the same things, so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just come into us and just help us to recognize the sin that we have in our life and that we would truly accept you who you are. 
then help us to live like it. Help us to put away the foolishness of this world. Help us to put away the foolish desires and the evil habits and the things that we do that would continue to break that relationship, that would continue to slap you in the face. Help us to surrender today. Holy surrender. And make this a relationship like we've never had before. Or maybe we need to restore a relationship that we used to have. And we need it stronger. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would do a mighty work. Do a Christmas miracle in our lives this morning by helping us to receive you as the gift that you are. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.